You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. My name is Elizabeth Hayes. I'm Director of Parish Ministry here, and I'm glad to be worshiping with you this morning. We are nearing the end of our sermon series called Life with God, Life with Others, and Life for the World. It's about the foundational practices of the Christian life. So, you know, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that his relationship with God is foundational, and that out of that flows his relationship with his community, and from there flowed his work of restoration and renewal in the world. And that work drove him back to God, so on. And this same pattern has formed the life of the Christian community for 2,000 years. So we've explored um, a number of different practices so far, and I just want to remind us of what those are. The first, we've explored the practices that form our life with God, which we call up. Those are be fully present with the church every Sunday and be fully present with God every day. And then we explored the practices that form our life with one another, with the church, and those are regularly serve and gather with your community and regularly serve and give your gifts. And today we are starting that third movement of the way of Jesus out. We are gonna talk about the first practice, which is love your neighbor. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll read our scripture passage for today. Would you pray with me? Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that As the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. This is a reading from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I think uh, kids these days are calling this spooky season. Is that right, kids? Is this spooky season? That's right. All right, well, since it's spooky season, I want to tell you a story about a haunted house. This is a story, it's an excerpt from um, the Boston Globe from October 1993, so almost 30 years ago now. It goes like this. It can never be said that Adele Gabori's neighbors were less than responsible. When her front lawn grew hip high, they had a local boy mow it down. When her pipes froze and burst, they had the water turned off. When the mail spilled out the front door, they called the police. The only thing they didn't do was check to see if she was alive. 
she wasn't. On Monday, police climbed her crumbling brick stoop, broke in the side door of her little blue house, and found what they believe to be the 73-year-old woman's remains, sunk in a five-foot-high pile of trash, where they had apparently lain perhaps for as long as four years. Eileen Duggan, 70, once a close friend of Gabori's, whose house sits a mere 20 feet from the dead woman's, said this. It's not really a very friendly neighborhood. (laughs) I'm as much to blame as anyone. She was alone and she needed someone to talk to, but I was working two jobs and I was sick of her coming over at all hours. Eventually, I stopped answering the door. In the 30 years since this real-life haunted house story happened, our society has only become more and more isolated. You and I both know this. We talk about it a lot here at Third because we believe that this loneliness and this isolation, even in our own homes, in our own neighborhoods, this is one of the most profound areas of brokenness in our society today. And therefore, knowing and loving and serving our actual neighbors is one of the greatest mission fields. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So I want to take a look at this story that we just read. The story opens when a scribe, who was a Jewish scholar, a scholar of Jewish law, he asked Jesus a question. He said, which command is the greatest of all? This wasn't a very uncommon question. There were so many laws between the Jewish Torah, and the rabbinic tradition that legal scholars were always debating which ones should outweigh others. There was this concept that some laws were heavy and others were light, and so some would outweigh others in terms of their importance. And legal scholars prided themselves on being able to determine, interpret between the two. So the scribe in our story today had seen Jesus answer the questions of the Sadducees in the verses and the chapters leading up to this, and he actually respected the way that Jesus answered. And so he says, all right, man, let's just cut to the chase. Which command is more important than anything else? In your judgment, he asks, what is our guiding star? Faced with the whole canon of Jewish law, the scribe wants to know, which one will you reach for in a crisis? Which one will you grab when the house is burning down? or when your life and society have been turned upside down by a global pandemic and civil unrest? What will you return to as your center? So the first part of Jesus's response was pretty routine. It probably would have sounded expected to the scribe. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5, which is called the Shema, which means to hear, because that's the first word of the verse. And in Mark's retelling, uh, Jesus actually adds a phrase to the Shema. He adds, and all your mind. So any devout Jew would have prayed this prayer every day. New Testament scholar James Edwards, he says that the Shema was and still is central to the Jewish tradition, as central as the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed is to Christianity. And the Shema did and does form the center of the Jewish law, the heart of the Jewish law, because Jewish law begins with love of God. That is, it begins with turning our attention and remembrance to God in worship, 
with our entire selves, our intellect, our will, our emotions, our bodies. And Jesus is saying that the same thing is true for his followers. So that's the first command, love God. But Jesus doesn't stop there. The scribe asked for one command, but Jesus added a second from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Putting these two commands together, love God and love neighbor, it probably sounds really familiar if you've spent any time around the Christian church. It's pretty commonplace in Christianity. But it would have been really revolutionary for Jesus. As far as scholars can tell, This had never been done in the rabbinic tradition. This particular answer, putting these two commands together, had never been done. So why does Jesus do this? By joining these two commands, um, I think first, Jesus is making a statement about what it means to love God. Jesus is saying that to love God with all of our heart and our mind and our strength and our soul means also to love our neighbor as ourself. One is not complete without the other. That's because the worship, to worship God, to draw near to him, is to draw near to love. We don't draw nearer to the kingdom of God by proper theology or doctrine or by religious ritual, but by drawing near to the person of Jesus. And to draw near to Jesus is to draw near to love. There's a Nicaraguan priest named Ernesto Cardinal, and he says it like this. He says, so to love him is to love liberation and justice. And that's the same thing as to love your neighbor. To love God, then, is to love love. To love God is to love love. The Christian life is not detached or disembodied. That's burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's religion. But the way of the kingdom is this. To love God is to love love. So I think when Jesus joins these two commands together, he is in part describing what it means to love God. I also think that when he joins these two commands together, he's making a statement that the love of God is the motive and mechanism of our love for neighbor. The love of God is the motive and mechanism of our neighbor love. 1 John 4, 11 says this, Dear friends, since God so loved the world, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. Jesus moved into the neighborhood and into our lives so that we might be brought out of our isolation and into a redemptive relationship with him. As we draw near to Jesus in worship and in love, we remember and we're filled with gratitude for the love that Jesus showed us when we were yet far off. It's because of that love that we've received that we are called to love our neighbor. That's our motive. It also tells us something about the mechanism for our love for neighbor. We can love our neighbors because God loved us. Jesus' answer to the scribe's question shows that he's not Jesus is not just some rebel without a cause. He's not just throwing away all of the Jewish tradition and starting fresh. He didn't come to just discard all of the laws of old. He's actually rooting himself right in the center of the Jewish tradition, and yet he's expanding it. He's showing that the religious ritual of the temple is fulfilled in and through him. 
He affirms the essence of the Torah, but he also supersedes the Torah. Friends, on our own, we will neither desire nor be able to love our neighbors. But as we draw near to God, we will be given both the impulse and the ability to love our neighbors. You see, there's a promise in Jesus's answer to this scribe. And T. Wright says it this way. He says, Jesus really did believe that through his kingdom mission, Israel's God would enable people to worship and love him and to love one another in a new way, the way promised in the prophets, the way that stemmed from renewed hearts and lives. Jesus really expected his followers to live this out because through his life, death, and resurrection, God is now fulfilling his ancient promise to renew our hearts. Through our relationship with God, our hearts are transformed and we have the power, the mechanism, by which to love our neighbors. So we've established that worship or love of God is a prerequisite for love of neighbor. The love of God establishes the possibility of our love for our neighbors. And, and one of those is not complete without the other. To love God is to love your neighbor. They go hand in hand. So let's take a minute and talk about what Jesus actually means when he says to love your neighbor as yourself. We're gonna look at a few practical ways that we might start doing this. This week, we're gonna talk mostly about, uh, we're gonna focus on ways that we can practice loving our neighbors as individuals or as households. Next week, we're gonna think a little bit more um, about how we can do that in, through our, the institutions that we're a part of or systemically or our communities. And so the first step to thinking about how we can practice neighbor love as individuals is to think about who our neighbors are. To think about the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus most clearly answers this question in Luke 10, the question, who is my neighbor? In the parable of the Good Samaritan, which I know many of you know very well. And if you're like me, you tend maybe uh, to identify with the, the rich young man who asks Jesus this question in that parable. Um, that, that man, he's seeking to justify himself. He's seeking to find a loophole. He's hoping for an answer from Jesus that will allow him to get out of actually loving his actual neighbors. And I think I do that too. We tend not to take Jesus very literally here. We often look for excuses to avoid loving our actual neighbors. But what if Jesus is calling us to love our literal neighbors, real people, real faces and names and real addresses? So the simple answer to who is my neighbor is your neighbor is anyone that God has put in your life to love. Your neighbor is whoever God has put in your life to love. So I want us to take just a minute to think about who that might be. I I really do want you to be thinking about this right now. Who are the people who you regularly come across on a daily basis? Maybe they're people around, um, around your home, your actual neighbors that you see when you're coming in and out of your house or when you're out on a walk. Um, Maybe they're people at your child's school, maybe at your work, kids. Maybe it's, it's somebody who you play sports with. Who are your neighbors? I want you to take just a few seconds to 
actually write down some names that come to mind. Or if you don't have a pen or a pencil, just picture their faces in your, in your head. So let's take a few seconds to do that. neighbor is. Our neighbor is anyone who God has put into my life to love. Now let's look at, I want to look at four practical ideas for what it might look like to love your neighbor. So four ideas. The first one is to get to know your physical neighbors. Just get to know them. Get to know the people who literally live right next to you. Say hello. Ask for their name. You might not know the names of the people who live around you. That's a great first step. Ask for their phone numbers. Sometimes we feel a little awkward doing that, but I actually think it's the best way to get to know somebody because then you can let them know when you'll be out of town. You can ask them to water your plants when you're out of town. You can water their plants. You can go over and help when they need something. Tracy Meadows told a story about an old Navy, uh, an old neighbor of hers who was a single mom who came knocking at her door um, because her kids had given her lice and she needed help picking the lice out of her hair. And if you have ever done that for someone, then you know that there's no real experience that's more like life on life than literally picking the nits out of someone's hair. And, you know, maybe your neighbor will ask you to do that, but loving and serving your neighbor usually doesn't mean literally nitpicking. Just like in most relationships, it starts with slowly building up trust through regular presence so that when the bottom does fall out, maybe they get lice or their fire alarm is going off or their marriage starts to break apart, you are there. A lot of neighboring, a lot of loving and serving our neighbor is just being there for when the bottom falls out. So the second practice is to get involved in your neighborhood. There are a million ways to do this, but one of the main reasons why we started the parish concept at Third Church is because we are a regional church that's made up of people from all over the metro area. Um, There's not a lot about coming here to church on Sunday mornings that is connected to where we actually live. We aren't really a local church in that traditional sense. And more and more, our society is losing connection to physical place. But physical place, the physical place in which we live, our our literal neighborhoods, that is part of the space that God has called you to love and serve. He has put you there for a reason. And parish ministry allows us to focus our ministry of care and presence on the place where we actually live. I actually really love that the people in my parish group live near me because we know and love the same local Northside spots. We love the Bryan Park Farmer's Market. We love Little House Green Grocery. We love Mihalisco. And we like to go to the same neighborhood things like Porcella and um, the Garden Walk in our neighborhood. And so having the people in my parish group living near me, it gives me a connection. It gives me a connection point to my neighborhood. It, it allows me to be more rooted in my actual place. So I want you to think about where God is at work in your neighborhood. When you see it, put yourself there. Perhaps bring a friend or two or someone from your parish group or a parish deacon along with you. 
The job of the church is to find out where God is at work and to place ourselves there. So the third practice is to see your work colleagues as the neighbors that God has given you to love, to know and serve your work colleagues. For many of us, we spend more time with the people that we work with than, certainly than our physical, literal neighbors, and many of us than with our family, right? So if God has put anyone in our life to love and serve, it's the people that we work with. Maybe God is calling you to think about your colleagues, not as someone from whom to keep a safe professional distance, but as someone he's put in your life to love. There are a million ways, again, that we could do this, but it might be as simple as just remembering and celebrating their birthday or going out to lunch and asking just one question that's not about work or covering for them when they need to go pick up a sick kid. It can be lots of different things. But just like loving our neighbors, in many ways, it's just about creating a relationship of care and trust and presence so that you're there when the bottom falls out. So the final practice is, when appropriate, to share the hope that you have in Jesus. You know, to love your neighbor might not only be to serve their physical needs. I do want to say that we don't serve our neighbors only as an end to evangelize them. One author says it this way, we don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love them because we're converted. Good neighboring is an end in itself. Loving our neighbors is an end in itself. But when appropriate, God may invite you to share with your neighbor the hope that you have in Jesus. We don't always know when that time will be. So it's important to be prayerful and to listen to Jesus. He might be preparing people in a way that, that um, you don't even see, um, preparing them to receive the hope of his love. So a helpful practice to prepare yourself for this is to consider how you would describe the hope that you have in Jesus. If you can't describe it to yourself, then you probably are gonna have a hard time describing it to a friend. And so take a few moments, maybe write in a journal about how you might tell a friend about the hope that you have in Jesus. So love your neighbor. This might not sound very exciting. Honestly, when I hear love your neighbor, it sounds a little bit saccharine to me because I feel like we hear it so often in the Christian church and see it practiced so infrequently. Might not sound very exciting. You know, what about changing the world, doing justice, solving our city's poverty crisis, or tackling some other significant social problem? But the fact is, friends, a movement of healing for the whole city could begin with something as simple yet as powerful as Christians literally obeying the great commandment. Can you imagine what would happen if just the people in this room got to know the names and the stories of the five people that they see most often every day and sought to love them with the love of Christ? Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine if every Christian in the metro area did that? our city would be changed. Love God, love neighbor. That's our guiding star. That's our center. Christians argue about a lot of stuff. But look at what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is that the heaviest of all the laws, the ones that outweigh everything else, 
the ones that we should grab in a crisis when everything else is turned upside down, they're to love God and to love our neighbor. Jesus concludes, there is no greater command than these. He says, whatever else we do, whatever else we decide, this is essential. To draw near to the kingdom of God is to draw near to Jesus. And to draw near to Jesus is to draw near to love. To love him is to love love. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would transform us, give us new hearts and make us into people who draw near to you with our bodies and minds and hearts and souls. And that as we draw near to you, God, you would make us people who go out in love. We do pray, God, that you would put on our hearts the people who you've called us to love and that you would show us how you want us to do that, God. We pray that even through the people in this room, that we would see transformation on our streets, in our neighborhoods, and in our city. We lift this up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.